0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning to you all. You know, I realize um, that we all don't come um, with open hearts to chapel. I had a professor when I was in school who um, didn't always, he didn't ask students to pray because he didn't want to put students on the spot because he said, I realize not all of you come fit to pray. And he didn't mean that uh, to make anybody feel guilty. He just said it's a re- reality, it's a fact. And so um, I realized that, you know, our, we're at different levels of um, relationship with the Lord, different levels of spiritual maturity, different levels of openness, um, softness, or hardness of heart. Um, but after singing those songs, and I realize, you know, just what a wonderful Savior we have and what um, our Savior can open us up to, to the uh, God of wonder and delight. And I pray, I hope this morning that as I share something about the God of wonder and delight, um, that you would be surprised that God would open your hearts. And uh, Jesus shows us just exactly what abundant life is really like. Before I do that, I have one just quick announcement. Um, next week is Ministry Opportunity Week, so we just wanted to especially highlight that. There will be a number of ministries, uh, uh, basically with tables in the Mac, and a number of people that you can interact with. If you need a ministry uh, this semester, uh, you're to be able to, at that time, uh, be able to connect with different people. Uh, The way things have gone over the last few years is that instead of having kind of the gauntlet of ministries in the MAC, uh, we've invited uh, two or three, four ministries at a time throughout the week, each day throughout the week, so that you would have a little bit more um, exposure and more personal time with them. So take advantage of that. I want to start uh, this morning's message with the prayer that Dr. Plummer uh, ended convocation with, and I want to highlight a few things that he said, and he said this, um, regardless of where we are, he prayed this I should say, how much uh, or how much of your goodness and power we 've experienced it 's nothing it 's nothing compared to your infinite fullness, no matter how much of you we know there 's so much more to know, regardless of how much goodness. Of you we have tasted, we've only skimmed the surface. And he talked about um, our response to our great God in being the kind of creatures who humbly bow before him in reverence and awe and obedience, and I would add surrender. And he ended with this, Capture our imaginations, our affections, our wills, and our intellects with your majesty. Show us your glory in the face of your Son as revealed in your word. This morning, I hope to capture our imaginations, uh, our affections, our wills, and our intellects with God's majesty and with his glory. And I pray that I'm able to do that uh, because I'm going to talk about an aspect of God that, in, at least in my experience, I haven't heard talked about much. I don't hear too many messages on this. Actually, the seed for this thought, uh, this message even, started way back when I was a student with a Hebrew professor who modeled absolute wonder and delight. And as he shared this one thought from Proverbs 8, it just kind of uh, did something within me that has been a part of me ever since that time. And so the other thing I want to say about that is, you know, there's only so much you can say in a message. You you know, when you say one thing, you can't say everything. And so there's so much more that can be expanded on in a message like this. But one just cautionary thing is that when we do talk about God, we never want to reduce God to our level, obviously. We're We're not putting God in a box. But, you know, we're still human beings and we're limited by our human language, aren't we? We're still limited that way. So while there's no way in the world I want to reduce God to our level, on the other hand, I want to be able to share in such a way that gives us a picture of our God using the limits of human language. I'm going to be reading out of Proverbs 8, 22 through 31 this morning. I'm reading out of the newer version of the NIV uh, for a particular reason, which I'll get to in just a little bit. Proverbs 8, 22 through 31, and wisdom is perfo- personified in the Proverbs as a woman, and you know we know personifications are um, ascribing human attributes to non-human things, um, and here Lady Wisdom um, is speaking, and she says this, "'The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old.'" I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and especially delighting in mankind." Now, when you think about that passage, and again, Lady Wisdom is speaking, we're really saying that it's God. Wisdom is God. Personification here. It's God himself. This is just a very poetic way of saying that it's God. Now, hang in there with me. This is not a lesson on textual criticism. I want you to catch some pictures here. But I appreciate the way the NIV, the newer version of the NIV, translated this last passage, uh, last verses in 30 to 31, because they used the word constantly, then I was constantly at his side. And actually, there's two word pictures behind this word, this Hebrew word, and um, many scholars or translators have discussed and debated this word, and so in an ESV version, you might see something like master worker, master builder, um, craftsman. Now, the NIV use the word constantly because I really appreciate this, because it gives me a good uh, message, too, okay? They punted, the translators of the um, NIV punted this word to the margins because they want you to look at the possibilities for this term constantly. And the other picture that's given in Proverbs 8, the word can be translated like a little child, like a precious child, like a darling child. And when you think about this, and you read it from that perspective, wisdom, or God, was like a playful little child. And the word rejoicing, and it's interesting to see this in some actually older versions. In an 1899 version of the Dewey Reams Bible, you think that's kind of old and staid. They're translating it, that God is playing in the world, and he's especially delighting in us people. And it's maybe rejoicing is more of kind of like a religious word, so translators don't want to put in the word playing. I don't know. But that's the concept behind this, is that God is like a precious little child, and he's playing his heart out at creation. He is having a blast, and he's absolutely delighted with his work, and he's especially delighted with people his creation of people. We are his creatures. And so even if you decide to go with the concept of a master worker or master craftsman, think about that. Um, I've worked with contractors for many years. I was a a contractor's helper. Uh, I've been a professional painter for many years, and I've been around a lot of contractors who have not lost their childlike spirit. And while they're masters at what they do, They absolutely just love what they do, and I watch them and they take delight in their work, whether it's a cabinet maker, builder of a home, architects, whatever, they take delight and they stand back and they go, wow, wow. You know, it reminds me of some other master builders I have seen from 25 to 30 years ago, my own sons, who were master builders at Legos and could be immersed for hours and putting something together, immerse, playful, not focused on anything else. And when they're done, they look at it and they bring it to us, my wife or I, and they go, look, and they're delighted. Even that works. God is like that artisan. Love the way the NIV puts these. Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, said this, we should, to begin with, Think that God leads a very interesting life and that He's full of joy. Undoubtedly, He is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of His love and generosity is inseparable from His infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul exhilarating joy, God continually experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. We pay a lot of money to get a tank with a few tropical fish in it and never tire of looking at their brilliant iridescence and marvelous forms and movements. But God has seas full of them, which he constantly enjoys. What a picture. What a picture of our God. A number of years ago, I was mountain biking on a forest trail, one of my favorite trails I used to go to, and there's a wooden bridge across the creek, and it was a beautiful day, and I stopped at that bridge, and as I looked over at the creek, I saw a little a turtle sunning himself on a, uh, a rock. Um, I saw a fish swimming underneath the bridge. All of a sudden, it was cool, a, a covey of baby grouse kind of just, they flushed out of a bush. And I'm like, wow. And to top it off, then all of a sudden, I saw two ducks take off and fly off. And I just, for a minute, I just said, wow, God, thank you. What a beautiful moment. But then all of a sudden it occurred to me. I said, you know, if I was never here and never saw this, God would be enjoying this moment. He didn't do that necessarily just for me. He would be constantly enjoying that moment. But it led me to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for sharing Your playful spirit, your creative spirit, thank you for sharing all of this with us humans. And you regularly enjoy this. The things that God regularly enjoys, he wants to share with us. So many, many years ago, uh, I should say many, but um, we lived in a house with a vaulted ceiling. And uh, when my boys were little, it gave me great opportunity to, you know, do the whole thing of tossing them in the air. I didn't have to worry about an eight-foot ceiling, so I used to toss them pretty high uh, over a soft leather couch, okay? <laughs> and so, um, you, kind of, you know this, right? So I throw them up in the air, and they're laughing and squealing, and they're coming down, and, you know, they, I catch them, and inevitably, what are they going to say? Do it again, Dad. Do it again, right? Do it again. Those of you who have experienced that with maybe brothers, sisters, siblings, if you've ever, ever babysat a kid, uh, have you had the experience of reading the same book to them about five or six times in a row? Do it again. Do it again. Can we picture God's childlike and playful spirit when it comes to sunrises and sunsets? Can you not picture our Creator God and the members of the Trinity looking at a beautiful sunrise and saying, Wow, let's do that again. In fact, let's go right now over to Australia and do it. Okay, let's do it again. I got this picture of God from a quote by G.K. Chesterton. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may, not be necess- it may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike, but it may be that God makes every daisy separately and has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Beautiful quote. This is what God is like. This is what our God of wonder and delight is like. And and if it's hard for you to imagine that aspect of God, just think about this as image bearers of God... Where do we get our sense of play? Where do we get our sense of delight? Where do we get our sense of creativity? I mean, can you imagine this, okay? I'll just, I like to use roller coasters. I don't know how many of you love roller coasters or are terrified. I like roller coasters. When I get on some roller coasters, it is like unhindered joy, and we let loose, right? Woo! And so with that, with that, do you think God is sitting there going, you know, roller coasters? You humans, wow! What will you think of next? It just didn't occur to me. And you know, you know that that you know water bottle thing. You know, you got half a water bottle and you kind of toss it in the air and you get really excited about that. You know, to see if it lands. <laughs> like, you know, wow! You got me on that one. You know, <laughs> can you really seriously? Where do we get that? Even the simplest things of the water bottle toss. And we get excited about something as simple as that. Where does that come from, guys? It comes from our God of wonder and delight. What if you started to read Genesis 1 and 2 from the perspective of Proverbs 8? Proverbs 8 is a creational passage. It's looking from, again, a broken, fallen world, but back to Genesis 1 and 2. But what if you started reading Genesis 1 and 2 through the eyes of Proverbs 8? And what if when it talks about God and God saw that it was very good and when he sees the making of humans it's very good. So oftentimes we read that just we read it you know kind of monochromatically or monotone. But in thinking of it when it says and God saw that it was good and God is going wow. Wow. And there's a certain point after the making of all the plants and animals, sun, moon and stars God is sitting there saying, like, you know what? This is way too beautiful and wonderful and fun for us to keep this to ourselves. Let's make creatures in our own image and share it with them. Our great God of wonder and the light loves us and wants to share this with us. Now, obviously, we're talking about a picture of God that's prior, That's Genesis 1 and 2, and it's prior to Genesis 3. We know about Genesis 3 and the fall. So it's not always an easy thing for us to regularly imagine God like this in a fallen and broken world. It's tough. I understand that. We deal with the regular daily impact of our rebellion against God's beautiful plan and design for human beings on a regular basis. So from Genesis 3 on in Scripture, the story isn't so great. There's highs, there's a lot of lows, there's a lot of um, stories about people's failures. Um, until we get to the Gospels. Our one Scripture, one university passage this year is Colossians 1:15 through 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. Can we read Genesis 1 and 2 and Proverbs 8 and see Jesus? Who is God? Jesus. Now, we see many emotions of Jesus in the New Testament, um, but it's hard, it is hard to see kind of that playful, childlike spirit. The gospel writers really don't record much of that at all. And we have to sometimes wonder why, and it seems, at least, um, what I'm thinking, my observation, is that Jesus had a mission, and that was to seek and save those that are lost. So what do the gospel writers focus on? They focus on that mission of Jesus, And as they focus on the human life of Jesus, you know all the gospel writers are pushing us to the passion of Jesus, where he does come to seek and save those that are lost, because sin is no laughing matter. And I appreciate so much the songs that we were singing this morning and led in about Jesus, and he's paying it all. But there are a few pictures that we do see in the New Testament that give us this picture of the God of wonder and delight. Um, first, remember this, first and foremost, God really delights in his people and is really angry about what sin does to us. And we oftentimes think about the wrath of God, if we can just think about it more in terms of the Father who loves us so much, who says, you know, what sin does to my creatures, I don't want. And so Jesus told this wonderful story Uh, That gives us a picture, and it's the story of the prodigal father. Now, oftentimes we call this the parable of the prodigal son. And prodigal can mean things like um, recklessness, wasteful. But the other meaning of prodigal is lavish to lavish upon, generous, bountiful. And so we know this from that um, story. When the wayward son comes home, what does the father do? He runs. He runs out to greet the wayward son, wraps his arms around him, kisses him, and then he throws a party. And Jesus tells a story, and he's talking about there's excellent food, and there's music, and there's dancing. He calls for a party. And so when we see this, we're saying, this is our God, the God of wonder and delight— who when a wayward son or daughter comes home, he celebrates and throws a party. Jesus said this, All the angels in heaven are rejoicing, laughing, playing, dancing, in the company of God when a sinner comes back to God. And if all the angels are doing that in the company of God, how do you picture the Lord of the dance? How do you picture him? when a wayward son or daughter comes back. When the disciples wanted to chase away the little children hanging around Jesus, Jesus rebuked them, and he called the little children to them, and he said, little children, come to me, and do not hinder them. Let them come, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, won't enter it. Now, take note. We're not talking about... A word we often use for immaturity or brattiness or infantile behavior like childishness. We're not talking about that. Instead, so Jesus is talking about this sense of innocence in a child, a way of being before one is impacted by the natural process of growing up in a broken and fallen world. He's speaking to a childlike spirit of trust, awe, wonder, delight, curiosity, openness the ability to see things that adults don't see anymore when they've allowed cynicism and skepticism and criticism and false sophistication or maybe being too cool to take over. We can't remain children forever. That can be dangerous in a broken and fallen world. But it's possible to retain a childlike spirit along with growth in knowledge and wisdom. Many people refer to this as a second naivety. If you've never heard that term, uh, check it out sometime. So how seriously do we take Jesus' words about the childlike spirit, the one who enters has a childlike spirit? How seriously do we take that? Do we think it's just a manner of speaking? Jesus means it. And when we get to the end of the New Testament, the end, the picture at the end of the story is one of wonder and beauty and delight that the wedding feast of jesus a wedding feast music dancing fine food fine drink laughing partying not a funeral and the text tells us this the old order of things has passed away jesus says i am making everything new unhindered joy delight no more curse no more sin So how might this picture of God um, impact us as we enter this semester together? I want to offer you two implications as image bearers of God. The first one is this. Develop our awareness. Develop our awareness. Chesterton again said this. Our perennial spiritual and psychological task is to look at things familiar until they become unfamiliar again. Another way of saying this is, see with the eyes of a child. It's another way of saying it. Learn to develop a spirit of seeing things for the first time. We all know this. It's a common experience for us to be looking at something and not really seeing it. Um, The other morning as I was driving into work, I had a lot on my mind, and I was coming in the Fairview entrance and didn't notice the big tree that fell over. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed that big tree that fell over. Okay, That's a big tree! drove right past it, I had too much on my mind. I don't know how many times I've looked into the refrigerator when my wife tells me to get something, it's right in front of my face, common experience. And my wife typically has to say, "Um, Mark, look with your brain, not with your eyes. (laughs) Well, what I'd like to say is this as well, let's also look with our hearts. Let's see things for the first time. I'm going to paraphrase a quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning to make it a little bit more contemporary. Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush is afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest are busy texting. Do we seriously? Are we serious about Paul's words in Acts 17, not, not only Acts 17, but in Timothy when he says... In him, we live, we move, we have our being. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do we take that seriously? Do we see God in our ordinary days? I encourage you to look for God in the ordinary. Look for the extraordinary in the ordinary. So awareness isn't just about, like, you know, ramping up our minds, you know, kind of putting great effort into focusing. It can be that. There's no question about it. But it's more, like a, it's more of like an openness, um, a state of active receptivity. I'm constantly in that state of active receptivity, opening ourselves up to the sacred. And it's not just thinking about an experience. It's about experiencing the experience. It's not just about getting the experience, about letting the experience get us. Many years ago, I took a number of students, a group of students, to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, to the Porcupine Mountains. And after we took this beautiful hike um, on a Scarpman Trail along the Lake of the Clouds, some of you might know that area. We came down, and we were heading for the sun. We wanted to get around to the west side of the park to watch the sunset. So we zoomed around to the other side of the park, and we're climbing up this trail to like a rocky bluff area. To watch the sunset. And the sun was starting to set. Beautiful sunset. And as we're sitting there watching, I was watching a number of students. They're kind of chatting, and they're looking at the sunset. And we're going, wow, nice sunset. And it was kind of a wonderful moment, but there was this one student. Her name's Eva. Eva has this delightful, playful, childlike spirit. She's in her 40s, married with three kids today, and still has this. And Eva was standing there on a one of this rocky outcroppings, just doing this. (laughs) And she's just going, oh, oh, oh. The other students were talking about the experience. Eva was letting the experience get her. So when we think about this concept of awareness, The next thing is about cultivating a sense of wonder. Awareness and wonder are companions. Awareness leads us to this enchantment and wonder. Now, we can't necessarily just generate wonder all on our own if it's not there in us, but we can cultivate and nurture wonder by practicing awareness. And we have to make space for that to occur. We, have to, we all have to make space. Think about it. We're so self-preoccupied. We're preoccupied with busyness. Always something to do. Restless. Bored. Distracted. And we lose our sense and capacity for wonder. A number of years ago, as well, I took uh, a number of Kieran students to the Boundary Waters Wilderness Canoe Area of northern Minnesota, uh, along when we had our outdoor action group. And uh, we flew into Minneapolis. Uh, We got great deals on flights, but it ended up we got there pretty late in the evening or late at night, and we still had about a four- to five-hour drive up to the wilderness area. So we drove up, and everybody's pretty tired from the trip. We went went to our our base camp, a wilderness camp there, and as we drove in, and we're kind of all stumbling out, sleepy, groggy, etc., Um, As is my habit, I looked up. Again, being 25 years in the Northwoods, you tend to look up because there's no light pollution. And I said to the students right away, I just said, look, look up, right now. And everybody looked up. And the billions of stars in the night sky was amazing. No light pollution. The Milky Way was so crystal clear and bright. It was just billions of twinkling stars. And at first, students were going, whoa, wow, whoa, and saying things. And then all of a sudden, what seemed like forever was probably just maybe five minutes. We just watched in silence. We just kept looking up. It was a sacred moment. There was awe. There was reverence. What a beautiful moment. David Benner, who's a psychologist, has said this about wonder. Wonder will only emerge in the presence of reverence. If nothing is sacred, nothing worthy of reverence, then nothing will evoke wonder. This is the plight of the cynic. Cynicism is the way we try to minimize the loss of wonder and idealism. And I would even add maybe being too cool. It's the mask we hide behind when we choose to despise the simple and wondrous Wonder may yet exist, but cynics or those thinking it's too too cool will usually feel too vulnerable to dare to embrace it. Wonder demands openness, and that openness is simply too threatening for those who are cynical or maybe too cool. Reverence for life encourages openness and awe. It makes room for each person or thing to be encountered in their own uniqueness. When all of life is treated as sacred, it becomes possible then to experience it as sacred. And as this happens, wonder begins to burst upon us. Cultivate your awareness. Cultivate your wonder as you go through this semester together. And let's pray. God of wonder and delight, as we start this new semester, May we open ourselves up to you in each and every day and in, in the ordinary. Give us the eyes to see and the spirits of childlike, a childlike spirit to be able to um, embrace you and encounter you in each and one of our every days. Thank you that Jesus led us back to you, our great creator, and God, full of wonder and delight. And we pray in his name. Amen.